Hey guys, what a powerful worship experience. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God is turning things around for all of us. I mean, when we look around our world today, it's really obvious things are starting to turn around. I hope you can feel what I'm feeling. So I'm excited for what's getting ready to come up as we transition out of worship. I've got a powerful word I wanna share with you, but first and foremost, I wanna welcome all of our online viewers. I wanna thank you for being here. My name is Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, I'm the lead pastor of Connect. And I wanna welcome you. If you're watching on Facebook, you're watching on YouTube, you're watching on our online platform, hey, dig in, fully engage. Thank you for joining us. And a special shout out to all of our physical locations all over the state. Man, this is an exciting time. Um, we're seeing like a swell where people are coming back and feeling safe and that safe harbor is present for you. Our services are becoming uh, more vibrant and exciting. Being able to provide, you know, live worship and being able to take care of your kids in a great way. It's only going to get better in the coming weeks. And I want to share with you that on June 6th, uh, we have a special service. That's going to be in our Ashland location right outside in the parking lot. No limits, and, you know, in terms of how many people. And I'm calling all of you that call Connect Your Home. Whether you're family or a frequent flyer or you're a first-timer, we want you to join us for this special service. And some of you, um, you've seen the vision video go out. I've got another special announcement that I'm going to bring that night that I don't want you to miss. So now I want to encourage you. Get your Bibles out. Get your notes. Get your iPhones out, get ready. I got a great message for all the men. Well, listen, um, I wanna start with a little bit uh, of a story. I wanna take you back in time to when I was a young boy. I'm gonna say probably nine or 10 years old. Um, I'm living in my parents' house in Framingham. I'm in the second floor, kind of in the corner bedroom and uh, kind of overlooks, it's on a hill, Pincushion Hill in Framingham, Massachusetts, beautiful home. And I can remember a particular night that really stood out. And um, it's because somewhere around two, 3 a.m. in the morning, I hear a knock on the door. Everybody hears a knock on the door. I can hear my mother kind of a little bit startled. And naturally, my father gets up as the protector to go and see what on earth is going on. Like who would have, the audacity, for what reason would somebody be knocking on the door at 2 a.m. in the morning? Well, he opens the door only to find a young man who lives just down the hill, across the street, and this young man is really nervous. He's really scared, he's really upset. His name was Adam. And Adam, uh, after knocking the door, my father gets there, he says, Mr. Fry, Mr. Fry, I I'm freaking out, I'm really scared, I think somebody's trying to break into my house. Hey, can you help me? I don't know what to do. And of course, he didn't have the sense to call the police. His parents are away. His siblings are gone. He's home by himself. And so my father steps out just kind of quickly onto the doorstep, puts his arm around Adam to kind of calm him down. He leans forward a little bit, and he can hear this dominating sound through a megaphone. And through the megaphone, somebody is in Adam's house saying, Adam, Adam. Where are you? And it repeats, Adam, Adam, where are you? And as fast as Adam showed up at the door at 2 a.m. in the morning, he was gone. He began to yell as he ran away. He's, Mr. Fry, Mr. Fry, I'm so sorry for bothering you. I recognize that voice. It's okay, it's okay. Go back to bed. Well, this story, it was our story, it was our family story, and it was kind of crazy, and I remember my father, you know, kind of unpacking this some more and talking to his parents the next day. But this story 
are like this story, we see this in the book of Genesis. Believe it or not, this story kind of originates in Genesis chapter 3. In fact, verse 9, I think it's in your notes or it'll come up on the screen. It says, but the Lord God called out to man and said, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? God was walking and talking at one time with Adam in the cool of the day, but this particular day, he couldn't find, he couldn't find Adam. In Genesis, the first Adam wasn't knocking on the door of his neighbors. He was hiding in the shrubs. He was hiding in the bushes. But it wasn't um, a friend there that was looking for him. It was God. Wow, it was God. It was God there in the garden, in um, this, this, this house that he created for man, and he was looking for Adam, and he was saying, Adam, where are you? Now, I don't think he was looking for Adam because he couldn't find him, and we'll unpack that in a little bit. But today's message, if you're taking notes, is called Two Adams. Two Adams. Um, because there's really two Adams in all of us. There's two Adams in every one of us. There's one that's made some mistakes. There's one that's missed the mark. There's one that's fallen short. And there's another Adam that God wants to use to redeem, to restore, to rebuild, to do something great, to fulfill a purpose through. There's two Adams in every one of us, and there's one that is called to accomplish great things. Now, we're in a series right now, everybody at Connect, and if you're new, the series actually started last week on Mother's Day. We started talking about men on Mother's Day, and we said that behind every great man is a great mom. You don't want to miss that as we unpack the story of Jochebed, the mother of Moses. But we're going to continue this series. It's going to run all the way through to Father's Day. And its, it's focus is to inspire you who are listening that are of the male persuasion to be men who lead. Men who lead. Now, God has been making an effort all through humanity, not just in the book of Genesis, but really all through humanity looking for men who would lead. Apparently, this continues. In fact, it shows up in our theme text for the series. This comes from Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel, yeah, you probably don't read that very much. Ezekiel 22:30, reading from the Amplified. I'm kind of paraphrasing it. Here's what it says. God speaking, he says, I was looking for a man to stand in the gap so I would not have to curse the land, and I found none. In fact, in one translation, it says, not even one. This is a pretty morbid, sad, uh, you know, state of affairs. God's looking, God's searching like he was in the garden. He's searching here. He's looking for a man. And if we stop, drop, and roll, <laughs> if, we, if we just hit pause, if we just take a moment as people to observe the conditions of our world, the culture in which we live, I think we would all say we're in crisis today. I mean, we're, we're, we're like, we've, we've pulled or we should pull the fire alarm. And it isn't that males are missing. I would submit to you, it's that men are missing. So here's our big idea. Write this down and don't forget it. There are plenty of males in the world, but God, he's looking for men. And I want to put in parentheses, God is looking for men of God. That's our series, Men of God. Now, this, this question or this um, this search is the search or it's the question of so many people in society today. Just to highlight, it's the question of the single woman who can't find a worthwhile man to marry. She, she wasn't looking for so much a man, excuse me, a male, she, looking for a man. There's, there's, there's 
there's a lot of single women looking for a good, godly man, and that's a good pursuit. Um, it's the question of the single parent uh, who has been abandoned um, by the father or the father of her children, and she doesn't need a male in her life. She needs a father in her children's life. It's the question of a child who has grown up maybe without the physical presence of a father or the emotional absence of a father. There's that absentee father. And, and they don't need a male, they need a dad. They need a dad. And so we're living into a, a day today when men uh, uh, go to kind of one of two extremes and sometimes somewhere in the middle. Men uh, veer uh, to one side and they become domesticated uh, more on the passive side, or they go to the other side and they become, um, you know, more uh, abusive, dominant, aggressive. And sometimes somewhere in the middle uh, is where men lie. But there's these two extremes. And, and worse than, than all these honorable questions we just listed, it's interesting that in the scriptures we see God himself is looking for a man. God himself is looking for men. If, and if God couldn't find Adam, it, it's no wonder. It's, no, it, 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 it's, it's, it's understandable. We would have a hard time finding men. So how do we find men? And, and before we get into that, I want to say that I believe, I think if you studied, um, you did research, you would conclude, this is kind of a bottom line statement. I think it's in your notes. All problems in culture can be traced back to men. And I put this little update that's probably not in your notes not leading through problems. All of the cultural issues, problems in our society can be traced back to men not leading through those problems. And so I won't bore you with the startling, um, you know, supportive statistics that are out there that would reinforce this premise, this bottom line. I won't, I won't go through those, but the implications are a mile wide, a mile deep. Um, they're everywhere. Hundreds and hundreds of studies have been done supporting uh, a fatherless generation, the lack of male presence, uh, uh, and I would like to say man's presence in uh, the nucleus of the home. And, and all of it says there's a desperate need for men to lead. And so that's why I'm starting this series, and I want to kind of take my time with it as we kind of approach the summer months, because sometimes it gives you as a man uh, a little bit because you get some break time coming up. You got some time to vacation. You got a little bit more margin. You might play some golf. It gives you some time to think about what we're talking about. So what does God want us to understand about men from his word? Write this down. It, number one, I'm going to give you three points, okay? Simple message, three points. Number one, men were created first. They were created first for a reason. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. It says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. By the way, there's nothing accidental in the scriptures. God is extraordinarily intentional with the things that he writes. This, this is telling us that man was created first. It was male before female. It was man before woman. And first things in the Bible have to do with order. First things in the Bible have to do with uh, progress in time. First things in the Bible have to do with priority. In fact, in, um, in seminary, we learned what was called um, the law of first mention. The law of first mention. In fact, there's a lot of first mentions in the book of Genesis, naturally. And so God first formed Adam and then Eve. And the question begs, why? So in Genesis 2, 
where we see Adam um, surface and the majority of the conversation is with Adam, not with Eve, because Eve hasn't showed up yet. Um, and it's because God was trying to establish uh, priority. He was trying to say to man, you are responsible. And so when, even though Adam and Eve were eventually in the garden, when God came into the garden looking, interestingly enough, he doesn't say, where are you? Where are you all? Where are you, Adam and Eve? No, he says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? God came looking for Adam first because God created man first and he did it on purpose. And so in your notes, the man, and I'll unpack this and try to put it in context for us in our modern world, but the man is ultimately responsible. And um, if you're going to be a godly man, a man of God, you're going to have to accept responsibility, listen, for everything, for everything, everything that comes after you. Because man, Adam was created first, then anything that was second, third, fourth, or after, was he was responsible for. And that's why God came to him in the garden. Malachi 4, 6, it speaks of the restoration of things, specifically in Malachi 4, the family unit. He says, God will turn the, the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. There'd be this reconciliation as a result of repentance. Then he says this, so that I will not strike the land with a curse. In other words, it won't come under uh, destruction. So that text, the text we read, the theme text from Ezekiel 22:30, suggests that if our culture is declining, is it, yes or no? If it's declining according to the word, we can't become preoccupied with or blame that which is happening um, with all the peripheral things that are happening, the, the political um, polarities, the socionomical uh, issues that we are experiencing, the sociological issues, the racial injustice. Though important, God is saying, listen, those things are important, but God is saying first, on the front end, where are the men? Where are the men? I hope you guys are getting something out of this already. Let me know by shouting amen at all our locations or saying amen in the chat. It would help me out. I'm just going to believe you're doing that right now. Now, this is really saying that it all comes back to the nucleus of the family and the leadership in the home. And it comes back very specifically to men taking responsibility uh, for the home. Now, this is not meant to minimize the mother's role. In fact, I think it is extraordinarily significant as I instructed and taught last week. But there are differences in roles. Um, and there are some classical and there are some sometimes unique ways that the roles can be distributed in the home by the way in which God created you. But, but for the most part, sometimes one is more nurturing um, and one um, might be more... Um, their affirmation means a lot to the kids. The nurture might mean more from the kids from the mom, and the affirmation means more from the dad. Um, care comes a little bit more and a little bit deeper from the mom. Correction comes a little bit stronger and shorter from the dad. I can remember when my mom would discipline us, she'd get sometimes to a point of frustration, and you know what she would say? Just wait until your father gets home. 
just wait until, ooh, that used to, that used to give me like, ooh, Mufasa, Mufasa. You know, that would give me that like shiver down my bones, you know? And that's because God puts certain stamps of leadership on each of those two um, unique, uh, unique roles. And so I remember this, this idea of responsibility uh, hitting me in a positive way when I was in the eighth grade. In the eighth grade, I was at uh, Barberry Middle School. No, it was Farley Middle School. Excuse me, they were twin schools in Framingham. And I walked into the gym, and I saw in the gym on a basketball court a bench press. For some of you who don't know what that is, I'm offended. But there was a bench press there, and it, it had about 135 pounds. How do you know that, Pastor? Because I spent a lot of time there. And I didn't know that at the time, but at that time, that weighed more than me in the eighth grade. I was, a, I was like a pipsqueak, everybody. But I had, I had some strength in there. I remember sitting down between, kind of slipped in under the bench, pulled that weight off the rack. My arms began to wiggle, 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 and I put it down, and I pressed that thing up as hard as I could, and I put it down one more time, and I, could only, I think I could only squeeze out a couple at that particular time, and I struggled. But the reward of that accomplishment was intoxicating. That experience is a picture of manhood. It's a picture of manhood. In a similar way, God wants to put a certain weight on the man just like that. Many fear, many men fear getting under the weight of manhood, getting under the weight of becoming a husband, getting under the weight of becoming a father. But it is the secret sauce, I believe, from God to a life of fulfillment and a life that really matters. Many boys want to stay boys and, and they see that weight and they run for the hills and, and they simply don't want to get in under that weight because it's too much and it's too heavy and it's, 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 too, it's too painful. And, and then we characterize things later in life like they're, they're these kids and this, and this wife, it's, it's just like a heavy ball and chain um, that I'm carrying around. But God wants to use the weight to develop the man. Can I have an amen out there? God wants to use it to make you strong. Resistance training physically is beneficial, but it is nothing, according to 1 Timothy 4.8, next to godliness. And in order to produce men of God, in order to have godliness, you as a man must accept full responsibility for whatever is going on within your sphere of influence. And it is developed it, that resistance training takes place, that leadership development transpires within your relationships, within your marriage, within your home, uh, within your family. Listen, I've said this for 25 years, almost 30 years of ministry. Responsibility is the best thing that has ever happened to me as a man. And because the man, back to the point, because the man came first, God uses that to build a foundation for the home, for the world, for culture in which we live. So when you step into that, you are building a house. Men, you're building a house when you are building the man of God he's called you to be. And so first thing you do uh, when you're trying to build a house, right, is you pour a foundation. 
you pour a foundation. And so that everything you put on top of that foundation is banking on the fact that that foundation is solid, that it is not wood, hay, and stubble, but it has a strength to it. If it collapsed, everything would collapse. And so men, listen ladies right now to me, men like foundations may not be pretty. Men like foundations may not be fancy, but men need to be solid. Some of you need a solid man. There's some girl saying, why can't I have both? Why can't I have pretty fancy and solid? Bless God, you can't. But make sure you have a solid man of God who accepts responsibility and understands his position. So when God says, I created man first, he's saying, you are the foundation. and Everything is kind of held up and held together by that as you carry the weight. Now, number two, write this down if you're taking notes. He, this is kind of a follow-up to this, but he created man to be responsible. I've said it already, but I want to unpack it with some more clarity, okay? Um, in Genesis 2.8, it says that man was hiding. Man was hiding in the presence of God. God was there in the garden. So, so get this. Man was hiding in the house God gave him. Man is hiding in... In, in the house from God. Don't miss this now. Not only was he hiding from God in his house, but he went to the house to get leaves from the house that God gave him to hide from him. <laughs> so in other words, man was using what God gave him to hide from him. Another way we could say this is God, man used God's blessings to hide from God. And if we, if we modernize this, if we put this in our current context, today men are doing the same thing. Men are using the blessings of God to hide from God. They're using their power, their pleasure, uh, their possessions. They're hiding behind all their toys, their hobbies, uh, their weekend getaways. They're hiding behind um, their, their, their preoccupation with pleasure and thrill and sex and pornography and all these things. They're hiding behind title. And, and, and authority and becoming authoritarian. We're hiding behind things that God gave us. They become unsanctified for us and they end up hurting us just like the fig leaves did with the little prickly thorns on them. We're hiding, but they're hurting us. And so man was hiding from God in the garden. And then in Genesis 2.15 it says, The Lord God put the man in the garden, man's house of Eden. He did it for a reason, to care for it and to work it. Or one translation says to cultivate and to protect. So God puts man, gives him a house, puts him in that house, and he gives him a job. Come on, somebody, all the men who don't have a job, you need a job, okay? I want you to notice something here. Uh, he, a house he gives him, he gives him a job, and then he says something else. He says cultivate it. Cultivate that garden that I've given you. He didn't just give him a job. He said, I want you to be Cultivate means to be productive. Cultivate, cultivate means to produce something more from, uh, from what you've been given. Whatever you've been given, multiply it, as it were. You know how much I love that word. So God is looking for you as a man to accept responsibility. And how does, how does that play out? You are to, within your sphere of influence, within that, that house, that realm of dominion, you're not just supposed to do time, you're supposed to redeem time. You're not just supposed to just sit there, you're supposed to uh, cultivate. You're supposed to uh, see it become more productive. You're supposed to maximize the potential that God has given you with the gifts 
and the influence that he's given you. So God is looking for that from us. And all of, of this was in the garden. God was there in the garden with Adam. He wasn't married yet. Eve hadn't showed up on the scene yet. He's single. He's not lonely, by the way. He was alone. Lonely is different than alone. Alone is all one. He was okay with God, but God had a way to even multiply him through relationship. But until that happened, he gives him another assignment. He says, cultivate, and then he says, keep. Keep means to protect. So this is another part of the responsibility that a lot of men miss. You have a call, you have a responsibility to cultivate and keep. You have a responsibility to, to maximize and to protect, to protect. Protect from what? I thought this was a perfect world. I thought the garden was perfect. Well, I'll tell you what was there. Snakes were there. Snakes were in the garden. You know what that can be translated into today? There are problems in everybody's house. There are problems in everybody's house. And the man's job is to deal, to protect the house from snakes, from slithery snakes. We have to be the protectors. So in Genesis 3, we learn that the snake is there. We learn <coughs> that he was really already there. And so the snake comes and he tries to allure and tempt and uh, thwart the plan of God by deceiving Eve. And the snake comes to stir up and to kind of mess up the plan of God. But there, where the serpent, when the serpent is in the garden, you need to understand your job is to keep Satan out of your home the serpent out of your home and deal with these problems uh, from a spiritual side, not just from a natural side. Can I have an amen out there? So write this down. Man is responsible to cultivate and keep, to, you could say, guard and protect, and you're in charge. Amen? Okay, number three, another responsibility God gives man. Write this down if you're taking notes. Man was charged by God with spiritual headship headship not leadership now it's necessary that i unpack this a little bit because this is where sometimes people get confused or misinformed um and so it's kind of a little sidebar here but at connect connect church we believe in headship over leadership we believe in leadership but we believe in headship first so we we headship does not mean that one is superior to another but rather um, a leader of equals are working together. It's and reason that one leader subordinate, subordinates themselves to the other leader is for the purpose of order. Is everybody understanding? So headship over leadership, both people can be leaders, excellent leaders, but in order for there to be order, somebody has to come under someone. And so you see this a lot of times in the military. Each soldier, for example, in the military um, is an equal. Um, under the Constitution, they have equal rights as a citizen, equal rights and equal privileges. But they have, within the context of the branch of the military in which they serve, they have decided to submit to someone else on the field of battle for the sake of order. So we believe in headship, uh, specifically as a church, there's one head pastor. Uh, primary responsibility uh, lies with me as the head pastor. It kind of mimics the home. There's one head in the home. Um, we have co-leadership, though, in the home as well. So um, my wife and I 
co-lead, co-equal, not only in the home, but also in the church. In our weaknesses, we cover each other. In our strengths, we multiply. We have, just like in the home, in the church, and I think in society it would be better too, we have two unique voices. The male and female voices are unique. Spiritual family needs the father's voice, absolutely. But spiritual family needs the mother's voice as well. I personally think there's the absence of the father's voice more in society and there's the absence of the mother's voice more in the church because of this misunderstanding of headship and leadership. We believe there are complementary roles from hormones to habits. Our differences are to be celebrated. Uh, we have similar responsibilities, we just approach them differently. For example, my wife and I in the church, as we co-pastor the church, we both deal with leadership, culture, vision. She just does it differently and sometimes with different people than I do. And so this is how we view um, things and put them in their proper context. But God has challenged men to be the spiritual head of the home, the nucleus of the home, or, and to assume that headship. So back to the big points. Um, Genesis 2.16 says, The Lord God commanded Adam, You may eat of the fruit from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat the fruit from the tree which gives the knowledge of good and evil. If you do eat from that tree, you will surely die. He gives Adam a commandment, a mandate. This is not a suggestion or a request. And because... He knows, and a man of God knows, to become a man of God, you have to position yourself under God's divine authority. You have to see His word as the last word, as the final word uh, for your life, the lamp unto your feet, the light unto your path. Not your friends, not your co-workers, not uh, your personal opinions, not your research paper, not even, listen, your wife. No one overrules the words of God. In fact, um, one place in Genesis 3, God rebukes Adam for listening to his wife. Because you listen to your wife, basically all hell's going to break loose for you. Now, that's not saying that women don't have good counsel. I'm not saying that. But he's basically saying her words can't be superimposed on my world. And, and he can't, they can't rule over me. So... Adam's job in headship, spiritual headship, is to oversee the communication and operation of God's word in his sphere of influence, starting within his family. That's why it says in Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my household, my family, we will serve the Lord. That Joshua's like, that's how we roll. That's how we roll. So God says in Genesis 2, uh, he basically says, hey, listen, if you do eat from that tree, if you eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. That means you're going to have broken relationship with God. What, what, was, what was God's big beef with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Let me try to modernize the two trees that are in the garden, okay? This is just modern terms. You'll get it in a second. But there were two trees in the garden. There was the God tree, the tree of life, and there was the Google tree, the tree of information, the tree of data. That data can be bad, that, that information can be bad, or that information can be good. Both good and evil from the Google tree, God said, no, I don't want you eating from that tree. And so the reason for that, and this is in your notes, if you're going to be a man, and I would submit in here as well, a woman of God, you must learn to, subscribe to, submit to, living by revelation first, 
not reason. Revelation over reason. God is saying, I don't want human reason to dictate your activities, your actions, and your reactions. I want divine revelation, out of born out of relationship, direction, uh, being spirit-led from me, by me. And when I want you to know something, and when I think you're ready to receive something, I frankly will let you know. He wanted us to be, as men of God, more on a need-to-know basis than I have-to-know basis. And often we see one of the biggest problems in society today is that we have men who are more, far more secular than they are spiritual. And that is a sad reality, and that's why God is looking for men, not just males. And so what happens is, this is true of me, and I think it would be true of you men, we get in our heads too much. We're all up in our head. And you know what I mean when I say that. It can differ, and it can have different stuff up in your head. But what happens for many of us is getting in our head and living out of our head, living out of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, living out of that Google data information uh, tree. It works for us sometimes for a period of time. It convinces us to continue. But you know and I know eventually that bites you. It's like women who... Uh, usurp the authority that God established for man in the house. It's like women who kind of take things a little too far. And I understand why that happens sometimes because men have taken things too far the other way. But what happens sometimes is the extreme is women can get out on a plank leading and just kind of calling the shots for themselves and not having the support and the the co-leadership of the headship of the man. They get out on a plank and then they realize I'm not designed to carry all this weight by myself. And then they look back and they wonder, Where's my husband or where's the man to help me? And because he's out of practice and because you took the keys in essence to your life, now it's kind of too late. This is what happens to men in the realm of reason. We go down this lane. So because we have certain aptitudes, because we have a certain education, because we have a a certain skill set, because our experiences have convinced us that uh, because of what we did, we can continue to do this again. Many of us, or because a culture is teaching us what manhood is all about, over time we get mixed up, we get messed up, and we don't function right. We're not functioning in accordance with our the original manufacturing manufacturer settings and so uh, over time we begin to die spiritually we even begin to die um, I would just say uh, mentally and emotionally and we become even though we're alive dead men walking there's a lot of spiritually dead men walking today and so men now function uh, preoccupied with title and we want people to recognize, recognize, you know, I'm the man of the house. I call the shots. I'm in charge. I'm the boss. Okay, whatever. You know, people are just kind of laughing at you when you act like that. We often want, <coughs> excuse me, title, but we don't want responsibility. Title, one person said, title without responsibility is tyranny. It's tyranny. And we get ourselves in trouble and our society gets in a huge mess because of this. So Adam's job was to transfer appropriately this information to Eve correctly. And I think initially he did that because when the serpent tempted Eve, she said, I, she said, I can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I can't even touch it. 
See, I think Adam conveyed that message to her. I think he's the one that instructed her. So he started right, but he didn't end right. I think he was telling his wife, honey, baby, whatever you do, don't eat from that tree. Don't even brush up against it. You need to stay away from that. But things have changed, men. Men have abandoned and abdicated their role. And instead, we have women saying, hey, um, you know, are we going to church today? We have wives saying, you know, can we just, you think we could just pray once in a while as a family? Uh, you know, can, can, you know, I, I want to have devotions with the kids. Most people don't even know what that is. That term just kind of eludes us t today. Um, can you put your son to bed and pray with him and do his affirmations? And, and we don't have, we have men abandoning their spiritual headship in the lives of the people that they're called to influence. And what happens is I hear this subconsciously. That was my phone falling. I hear this happening um, sometimes out loud. People say to me, PD, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to lead. I don't know. Let me just tell you something. It's not about that first. See, knowledge in a sense, knowing how to do it, almost has nothing to do with it. This is more about location. Excuse me. It's less about location and more about position. God has called you. He's put that leadership mantle upon you. As you step into it, it's like OJT, as my dad said. You, you accept the role, you assume the ultimate responsibility, and God will teach you how to lead within that responsibility. So God, men, he's asking you. He's asking you, men, where are you? Where are you at? I'm calling you out. I'm calling the males to become men, the boys to become men. And there's good news. There's good news in the Bible because there are two Adams, not just one, in the Bible. There's, there's good news for the rest of us who maybe haven't done it right and want to kind of turn this whole thing around. God isn't just looking for males. He's looking for a just man. And you know what? He found that just man in his son, Jesus Christ. The first Adam in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 and in Romans chapter 5, I think it's verse 18 or something like that. It basically says that the first Adam screwed it up and messed it up for the rest of us. But there was a second Adam, or the last Adam, that made everything right for the rest of us. In 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about this, that, that the last Adam is a life-giving spirit, and he's bringing us back to the garden. And though the first Adam messed things up, the second Adam has come along kind of to pick you up and to turn things around. And so as a result, you don't have to be like your daddy, sir. You don't have to be like your granddaddy. You don't have to be like that role model that wasn't such a good role model, that man that wasn't such a good influence. You don't have to fill in the blanks uh, because of the absence of that male influence in your life. The last Adam came, and that last Adam came to rename you. That last Adam came to reboot and to rebuild you into the man that he's called you to be. Can I have an amen out there? And so what does that look like? And I was thinking about that, and, and, I, and, and I heard a story uh, a pastor shared, and he, and he basically said there was, this, there, there was this rock climbing expedition that took place, and a bunch of men went up the mountain. And on the front, uh, the first person was significant in climbing this mountain because they're all tied together. And the last guy was significant. Interestingly enough, the first guy's name was Adam. And you know what the last guy's name between? Well, all these guys in the middle, but the last guy's name was Adam as well. And as they're climbing up 
this mountain, there was an incident. There was an accident. The first Adam went to kind of put his stake in the mountain, and it didn't stick, and it didn't stay. And then he slipped, and he began to fall. And as he fell, others fell behind him. One by one, everybody is going uh, to their peril, to their ultimate, design, to ultimate uh, demise. And then right in the middle of that, the last Adam, in one moment, took his stake and threw it right into the mountain, rescuing and saving everyone after him. Because the last Adam put his stake in the ground, everyone could climb back up and begin again. The first Adam may have slipped, everybody, but the last Adam saved us all. That's what it says in Romans chapter 5 to all of us. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The first Adam sinned and was dragging us all down where we couldn't lead the way God called us to lead and just act like males and not be men. The first Adam was dragging us down to hell, but the last Adam uh, nailed all of the hell to the cross on our behalf. And because of what he did, you and I can overcome in this life because of what he did for all of humanity. You and I can be inspired again to lead like men. Can I have an amen out there? Listen, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for all of you, but I want to especially pray for you uh, who are listening, you're, you're out there, you're a man, and something is happening on the inside of you. Listen, God wants to reach you, and he wants to call you out to be a leader of men. You know, my parents named me. My father wasn't even a Christian when he named me. I don't think he even knew uh, the significance of it, but he named me Derek. My name, D-E-R-Y-C-K. Almost nobody spells it like that. It's a Teutonic name meaning leader of men. Isn't it interesting that you know, we can not even see certain things, but God sees things way ahead of us. You might have people that didn't necessarily know what they were doing when they brought you into this world, but God knew what he was doing when he brought you into this world, and he has a purpose, and he has a plan for your life, and he wants you to be a leader of men as well. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, at all the locations, I just want leaders to come to the front at all of our physical locations. And if you're listening online, I just want you to join me as we pray. I just want to pray for the men. It's going to be a simple prayer, nothing much to it. But I pray that you receive it from your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, for every person within the sound of my voice, Lord, I have a passion for men to lead. I, I, I'm fortunate to have pursued and sought after strong male leadership. It's made all the difference in my life, and I'm so grateful. There's a leadership stamp on men and, and it's significant and it doesn't minimize the leadership stamp on women but there is a special role to be played for men. I pray Lord that we would no longer, every person who's listening, something happen on the inside of them, inspire them not to abandon or abdicate or just give up their role. It's not too late. It's not too late to turn it around. It's not too late to begin to lead now. Now for every person that's far from God, you're disconnected. Maybe you're distant. In either case, you need to come back to God. You met him. You have a relationship with him. Or you've never known him in the first place. I'm especially talking to you. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you never confessed him with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, you don't know what it's like to be saved until you do that. There's this hand-in-glove relationship when you say it and when you believe it at the same time. So if you know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, or you feel this knocking on your heart, that's him. He's calling you. He's calling you to him. He's calling you to open the door of your heart, and only you can do that. So right now, if that's you, just say, Jesus, say it right out loud. Say, Jesus, 
save me. I can't save myself. I'm lost without you. I'm a sinner. I need you. I can't pay for it. I can't fix me. Only you can do that. I turn my life over completely right now from my heart and I confess with my mouth, you're the son of God. You paid for my sin. You're the only one who can take care of my problems, my issues, and my yesterdays. I transfer trust from me to you right now in Jesus' name. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, the Bible clearly says that you just went from death to life. You just went from temporary to eternal. You can have relationship with God forever. Those that know God have relationship with him forever, John 17, 3. I celebrate you. Angels in heaven celebrate you. And all the people in the room at all the physical locations, we're celebrating now the people that confess Jesus. All of you online, if you made that decision, you need to raise your hand and tell somebody you made that decision. Say, this was a decision I made right now. And we want to send you not only a book in the mail, but if you want us to do that, text us at CC Saved to 97,000. If you made that decision in a physical location, come down front, receive prayer, tell somebody. If you want it to stick, you gotta give it away right away. Christianity is like breathing. You take it in and you breathe it in, inhale, you exhale. Here's what happened to me, because we wanna give you your next steps and help you on your spiritual journey. Listen, I hope to see you on June 6th. That's coming up right around the corner. We have an outdoor service, a physical service. We're calling all the church together to be together as one church. I have a special announcement on that day. I can't wait to share it with you. Don't miss an opportunity to be together for a live worship experience at our Ashland location. I'll be there preaching live. We'll have worship live. We have no limits on our size. We cannot wait to be together. God bless you. I'll see you next Sunday.